0: probably the best Del Close story like that he wrote in Wasteland isn't, it's not explicitly autobiographical, but did you read this one? The one about the like servant of Krishna? Um,
1: I didn't read that one. Yeah, it stuck Uh, out
0: to me because I was like, all right, you know, he's getting into some kind of like theological stuff here. So this seems like an interesting one to read. And, uh, you know, I skipped over a lot of the John Ostrander stories, the ones that were just by him. But I I read all the ones that Del Close either co-wrote or, uh, you know, wrote entirely himself. And I think that he was I think this was just Del Close with you know ostrander doing some like script continuity or something but mm-hmm. the story is that like you know it's ancient india or something and uh the this the main character is this dude who's like a uh like devout krishna f- follower or like i don't know if he's a priest i think he's like you know some kind of uh brahmin or something like that you know like a a nobility you know he's whatever in whatever case he's like got a chill life and he's like a devout follower of krishna and then after like serving krishna his whole life he dies and krishna says like okay so you can either live a hundred lifetimes as uh krishna's friend or you can live 10 lifetimes as krishna's enemy and the guy says well You know, I would not want to be your enemy, but I, you know, I really want to get out of the cycle of reincarnation. You know, I want to be, like, with you in, like, the noble paradise or whatever. I don't really even know if Del Close's understanding of Hindu theology, like, how accurate it is. Like, if you get to be with Krishna once you're, like, done with the cycle of reincarnation, I guess that makes sense. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so that's what he wants. And he's like, well, I guess I'll live ten lifetimes as your enemy so that as quickly as possible, I'll get to be uh, with you. And... Uh, even though, you know, I hate the idea. And Krishna's like, I was afraid you'd say that. <laughs> and, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, he, like, basically lives, like, 10 lifetimes, like, being devoured, but, like, a giant spider with Krishna's face. And then he's like, you know, but only my love for Krishna is getting me through this, you know. But then, like, you know, on the th- after the 10th lifetime, he's like, but wait a minute, I've lived 10 lifetimes. You know, he's fi- he finds himself reincarnated in the same situation. And he's like, but wait a minute, like... Krishna you said like you know after 10 lifetimes Is your enemy that like you know I would be able To be free from the cycle of rebirth and Krishna Says like only when you have learned To hate Krishna can you truly be my Enemy and then like the hell will begin Oh my god um, (laughs) And then like uh, You see that the Arguably like the Most interesting part is that then like you know uh, The guy starts screaming like Krishna Krishna and then like the Comic cuts to like you know, a guy in, like, what seems to be the contemporary United States, like, wearing this, like, helmet, or, like, these, like, Oculus Rift type goggles, and they, like, uh, t- you know, there's a bunch of, like, people in, like, a military base or something, and they take the goggles off, and he's like, what happened? Did, did it work? Did I did I pass life regress? And they're like, you didn't do anything. Like, you know, you're nobody. Like, go back to your cell. And then, like, they start talking to, him, like, you know, these sort of researchers, like, doing this sort of, like, weird like, Joe Rogan DMT experiment, like, uh, oh past life uh sort of a psychic testing uh start talking about like Krishna you know it's like he was screaming about Krishna like what does it mean and then the guy like overhears them and he's like Krishna you know like finally embracing like his hatred of Krishna after like all (laughs) these lifetimes but you know it was it's interesting in light of like the sort of psychic like experiment uh context uh and also the spider theme uh yeah stuck yeah me. yeah well, um, speaking And speaking of see the spiders coming up again and again <laughs> i mean i know people hate yeah. spiders as a common fear but i don't know there's something to it do you think um, andrew
1: getty like did a second city class ever <laughs>
0: um <laughs> or, you, know you know what i wouldn't be I surprised there is like a, it's kind of making me think a little bit of you know our recent uh recently having read prisoner infinity and talking like uh you know jason horsley's book and talking about trauma with him on that other episode like i feel like there is that element of like childhood trauma like i was thinking about andrew yeah. getty when i was reading prisoner of infinity and like mm. it's you know that's a big theme like in the evil within and everything is like the the cho- the trauma in childhood and that's a big theme i think yeah. for del close as well like even if some of it isn't accurately represented in a lot of the stories that he tells uh not to say that the evil within is like andrew <laughs> getty's accurate experience but you know this theme like and then that aspect of like the sort of spider lords like does seem to come out a lot to having to do with this sort of trauma and Whitley Strieber, whose name I'm have now learned to pronounce. Um, yeah. Also would talk about shit like that, like the spiders, you know? So like, you know, the, the spider entities like torturing people. Uh, so I don't know something yeah. about spiders that like really bothers people, which is weird because, well, I guess they're poisonous, like a, like a big spider, like in the jungle could kill you. So I guess it kind yeah. of makes sense as a primordial fear in that way, but I don't know.
1: They catch, they catch you in a web that, you like, you don't see, you know, like, they, they, yeah, uh, but they that, spin invisible webs that you get trapped in. They suck your yeah, blood. They're kind of vampiric. That is a
0: common image of getting caught in the spider's web, which I guess maybe if the spider had a big web and you were running away from something else, like, that could be bad. But, like, no, I usually mean, well, human like, beings wouldn't get caught in the web.
1: Well, I so mean, like, yeah, you don't get caught in a web the like way a fly would, but it's like, it's still, it, it's but that is still like a constant, like, to <laughs> to that's, think a, about.
0: that's a recurring image or fear that people have. Like, people constantly yeah. think about, like, being in the fly's position, even though exactly. there isn't, like, apparently a rational reason for that. But I don't it's know, just maybe the idea of is. if a gigantic yeah.
1: spider is, like, hella scary. Because, yeah, exactly. You know, but yeah, like, um, it's, uh, it's bad news. But, Also, the other part of that like story that might be inspired by real life is like the whole, you know, government medical experiment aspect. And I think uh, he definitely had
0: experience with that. I mean, for sure. Well,
1: yes, quite literally. So just to describe, like he started getting into psychedelics around like 1960. He was very into like peyote, you know, peyote buttons, um, which I guess weren't even illegal back then. And he would order them in the mail. And uh, the book says he was determined to experience whatever reality substances he could find uh, ostensibly with the idea of improving his performances. This is, uh, I guess, a quote from him. I had read Huxley's The Doors of Reception and decided, well, it's necessary. I should experience these things, too. And right around this period, I found these people around town who sold this chemical mescaline. It's a solvent, a lubricant used in photography. Yeah, a reality lubricant. <laughs> we take it and play elaborate games. This is where a lot of our ideas about shaping reality came from. Uh, so okay, uh, and but he goes, he goes further because uh, as he hustled to find ways to make money for food, lodging, and drugs, Dell signed up for a government experiment in a laboratory in Brooklyn run by the Air Force, which was preparing for the upcoming Mercury space program. Scientists were studying REM, rapid eye movement, and conducting experiments on human subjects. As Dell explained it, his job was to take LSD, a comparatively new, very pure psychedelic. He was then hooked up to a machine and allowed to sleep. When the REM machine indicated that he was dreaming, the scientists would immediately wake him. Are you dreaming? Yes, I am, you motherfucker. (laughs) What were you dreaming about? I don't know, bunny rabbits. And he he (laughs) says about the experiments, I didn't like it. I grew tired of it real fast. He said in a different interview that the scientists were curious as to which kind of person would function better strapped into a tiny capsule hurling through space an introvert or an extrovert. Dell gladly answered an ad in the actor's equity bulletin board that read (laughs) wanted test subject for government program must be willing to take drug. LSD was the drug of choice in clinical psychological experimentation. And he always advocated the use of government drugs because of their strength and purity. He was strapped into a fake capsule and injected with a massive dose of pure LSD-25, and the capsule, quote, took off. All was well with Dell's space exploration until someone opened the hatch and handed him the lunch menu. Dell watched as the letters on the menu jumped off the page and began running around the capsule. One phrase leapt up off the paper at him tuna salad sandwich which at the moment seemed to be the most uproariously funny words in existence the door closed then reopened with a tuna salad sandwich which he stared at for a long time he never went back for a second session dell later told friends he didn't return because he had taken acid and they wanted him to report on its effects but he felt he couldn't truthfully report because his knowledge base regarding drugs was too great (laughs) rather than admit his drug history he quit the program
0: um, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or did you? I feel.
1: Yeah. Did you quit the program?
0: And oh, but like the, the, there's then there's so the
1: punchline, just the just the finisher, because he would always oh, tell word. the story, right? Right. So he was. Uh, I guess this is in the late 50s when that happened. Maybe 58, 59. And uh, I think he went back to St. Louis, but then when he got there, there was a letter that was forwarded to him from the United States Air Force that according to his own telling, read, Dear Mr. Close, you still owe the United States Air Force one dream. (laughs) No. I mean, Uh, yeah. uh, Like, that could
0: just be, like, you know, uh, his idea of, like, a joke. But... I almost could see uh, that actually happening. <laughs> like because
1: well, okay, th- that's what's weird about it. Like as some he, kind
0: of like weird, like you know, uh, follow up yeah. experiment or something. I, like you know, I the have, real point of it was to like you know creep him out with this message, like down the line. Um, possibly
1: possibly it's not quite getting like the phone call from you know the god phone call from the yeah. et like telling you you're a chosen child but like it, th- this is very similar to his future friends the people in the grateful dead that were going in for lsd experiments around yeah. the same time in sta- in palo alto and he likes so actually
0: like, that- like design like light shows for them right he was like the he original did, yeah. like, rock and roll light show pr- another great innovation of his in addition to the herald was that he did, like, the first, like, LSD. He's claimed to
1: have developed it for the first time. And Mm -hmm. also, it doesn't quite hold up with me that people have established that he's lied so often in his stories and changed things up. I don't quite buy his excuse that he didn't want to disclose his extensive drug history to the Air Force investigators, so he just ditched the program without finishing it.
0: First of all, like,
1: if you're afraid of them kind of coming down on you like they're giving you LSD. I don't think they Yeah, they're not going to
0: care. Like they probably would have asked you to begin with and eliminated you if they didn't want like, you know, it, they would have given you a chance to opt out for that reason. Like they would have screened you for everything that would have been disqualifying beforehand like that's part of like doing any kind of research and also like if you're truly a struggling artist like they're not going to fucking pay you if you bail out of a sense of like oh i don't want to lie to the government like what kind of rebellious improv guy are you (laughs) like like i'm gonna forego like my two hundred dollars or whatever because like it just I feel too bad about lying about my drug use. He or wasn't like, yet. I'm didn't worried yes that they might the, get upset. The U.S. Air Force, exactly. Uh, he yeah. didn't
1: yes, and them. He, mm-hmm. you know, they were trying to establish, you know, the common reality for the scene, and he didn't want to yeah, go along exactly. with it. Yeah, exactly.
0: He was. And yeah, he was like, it f- they're, they're like, well, it sure is a hot day on Mars uh, in our like spiritual <laughs> astral projection machine help contact program. And he and said, he "What do you like, like, no, mean we're on but Venus. It's not." <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's
1: on venus and it's cold
0: um, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah no, i mean it, very. Wow, what a bad what a bad scene partner well, i
1: mean also it is worth mentioning like because they they advertised this in the equity magazine which is like you know the the labor union for like stage actors and like how many aspiring up-and-coming actors got sucked into like basically mk they say it was for nasa but I mean, fine, we're, I think we're talking about a fine line here when the U.S. Air Force is giving you LSD. It seems like, and then he's in the mental hospital later, and they're giving him LSD. What kind of psychiatric treatment is that exactly? You yeah. know what I mean? Like a, like an actual institution is just, oh, this guy had a mental breakdown. You know what we should give him? Acid. What? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. What, were they Were they getting his one dream from him when he got institutionalized later? Or was he just sucked into like, Multiple MK programs, or you know, it's just, yeah, it does I mean, in a way, it does,
0: it does make a lot of sense because, like, I mean, based on his telling of it, I mean, like, you know, when you look at like these sus people, like, sometimes you're like, okay, you know, are they the scion of like some like long standing, like, rich family, you know, like, what wealth do they come from, or whatever? But sometimes, like, even if they do like come from like a rich background, like, maybe that money did dry up in some way, but like, a lot of the time, like, You know, as Douglas says, like seeing an ad like, you know, most people want to do drugs, like sit around and dream like that is attractive to like bohemian like artist types and like whether they even you know, like so whether they even like are sus to begin with, like a lot of the time, like they do easily get drawn into that type of thing, like just by like the nature of it. You know, it's like what free money to do acid like, yeah, bro. And then like, you know yeah they don't even think about that because none of this shit
1: nobody knew anything about this stuff back in the 50s right i mean like there was no exposés there's no church committee back then so and even
0: now i feel like you know uh people in the arts are incredibly naive about anything like that you know like for instance getting a grant from the navy to uh teach robots how to dance uh or something like that you know like that's cool yeah like what could the practical application this be it's not like you know, a robot that can pirouette can do anything um, physically. Uh, Like, uh, if you can stand on your tippy toes and do ballet, like, you can probably, like, get up after being knocked down or run up the stairs really fast, too, or uh, anything like that. Uh, Climb up rocky hills in Iran. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. who
1: knows what the dual use of these experiments that, like, people like Del Close were subjected to actually were at the end of the day. We can assume that... So it's like that's already. And who knows like inc- how
0: much of that like you know because experimental theater like you know the Herald is also a bit of a laboratory. So like you know if you're in that environment like those ideas seep in and then you sort of like that's your framework for like how these things play out. Uh, you know or how yeah. this should be done. You're being influenced like by those ideas. Like I think a clear link to this is the L. Ron Hubbard shit because like you know the way that he tells it, I feel like he was at like, a dianetic center in like Wichita. Yeah. You know, Cal, yeah. but I wonder if because at least like in the comic version of the uh, Del and Elrond story, which is like one permutation of the story uh, mm-hmm. that's been told many times about their friendship. It's all pivots around like a dream that Del had. Did you read that one? Uh, yeah, I yeah. did. I did. Um, yeah. It was a
1: weird dream of like there was a goat. Involved. yeah there's
0: a satanic goat like literally like it has the face of like the baphomet you know it's like a smirking like very satanic <laughs> looking goat um and like dell is basically having a dream where like there's a goat the evil satanic goat, and there's also like a bear that's humming around, going like, the dum da dum da dum da dum," and yeah. like, uh, the goat is like, "you must leave the island," and Del is like, "but you know," he was like, "yes," and, but the island is all. <laughs> I guess he says, "yes," but the island is all I know. Like, how can I leave the island? And the goat is like, "you must go," and like, uh, kicks him with his horns, and then, uh, he's like he in like, the yeah, he falls off a cliff like into the water. He's like, "I can't breathe," like you know, "I can't breathe," and then, like you know it turns out Doug Close is describing that dream like on the psychoanalytic couch to L. Ron Hubbard. And L. Ron Hubbard's interpretation is that like the the bear that's humming like da-dum-da-dum is like his mother's heartbeat. And the goat is like his mother's rib cage. And like when it hits him with his horns, it's like him being fo- like forced out in birth. So it's like a birth dream or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that like the context is that L. Ron Hubbard is doing dream analysis. Like he even says in the story you know, like I usually don't deal with dreams. I leave that to the cyclos or whatever. You know, like uh, <laughs> yeah, but t- yeah. But, it's know, also it's weird yeah, that in that all, context yeah. he's doing the dream stuff, which apparently was what he was doing with the Air Force as well, like dream based research. Even yeah. if that was outside of Elron's usual wheelhouse, like he was suddenly doing dreams. And yeah, it is interesting.
1: Like, it is interesting. And of course, you know, he also in that anecdote, like a part of the the punchline of that was like Elron Ron Hubbard was complaining about how the IRS and like the yeah. American Medical Association were like hounding his ass and how frustrated he was and Del Close was like "Like, oh, you should like think about starting a religion and yeah, he was like a, hmm, maybe I will and then that's why Scientology exists so like I mean I mean yeah. I think he's exaggerating that I don't think like Del Close is literal there, I mean didn't Robert Heinlein wasn't he the well, one who also said that he gave him an idea <laughs> to the, like turn yeah, it into a religion in
0: the comic version weirdly Del Close doesn't give him the idea Elrond just says like out loud, you know, while he's muttering about how he's upset about it, he says like, "I should really just turn this into a religion." But Del Close mm. did tell it like many times with the sort of Heinlein element of yeah. like, you know, I gave him the idea. So you know, it seems like bullshit, but yeah, I mean, who knows? Like again, like in this context, they're like just doing some kind of like free form like psychoanalytic relationship, and they're like fencing with sabers or whatever while they're like you know gaming this out, but who knows what the real context of their friendship was. It is interesting that like in the book, there's this weird thing where L like uh, he asked him to sign a copy of death's deputy, which yeah. is weird. Cause like, that's a very obscure L Ron Hubbard book. And you would and asked to buy it off of him Cause yeah. He at first have a he's copy. like, will you sign death's deputy? And for me and L Ron Hubbard is like, uh, wow, death's deputy. Even I don't have a copy of that. Can I buy it off of you for $3? And he's like, yeah, okay. Um, but that was like an element of verisimilitude weirdly because that's like an obscure Elrond book that you wouldn't think it was like a weird detail, but I don't know. I mean, I do believe that they definitely met, but who knows what the real context is, um, whether it was a real, they were just doing Dianetics and auditing or like if they met in the context of some like fucked up air force dream program, uh, slash like witch coven, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of witch coven, (laughs) he also, uh, the book also says that this is a weird thing. Uh, that I guess Del Close wrote a letter in 1990 to John Brent's uh, son. John Brent, I guess, was like a beatnik poet that he became pretty tight with, and they would do a lot of drugs together. And uh, Del Close said about, like, them hanging out in 1963, we were aware that every time we stuck a needle in our arm, we might end up dead. This fostered a screw-you attitude towards death. Mm-hmm. John used to describe his vision of the death experience as he expected it to be in typical cartoon fashion. Brightly colored concentric circles close about your field of vision and you see written in front of you in backwards script. That's all, folks. (laughs) This this is a weird comment. On his altar, oh yes, we always had altars, was an old-fashioned long-billed Donald Duck with a scythe. He called him Donald Death
0: cool uh, that's very awesome. like i'm your puppet kenneth anger <laughs> yeah.
1: like mouse heaven yeah like, it's the extremely fuck? mouse heaven you yeah. just had like a, a creepy altar with like an old donald duck like dressed up as death that you like prayed to and called him yeah donald he death, was kind but... of like the
0: original i mean i guess he wasn't the original because it was around the same time that like the you know more no well-known ironic satanists emerged but he was like very much like someone who is like <laughs> People always call me a Satanist, so maybe I will become a witch. But, like, he actually (laughs) did. He got, like, big into witchcraft, and he would attribute, like, his actual ability to get off of cocaine or heroin. I don't know, like, how successful it even was, but he would say, like, that it was due to, like, his rituals that he had performed. That yeah he cast a spell yeah like like he, the, to, he went up to canada like and met with a coven or something and they purged him yeah it's really wild and he then said, like it you took know, slowly right like at first like it didn't work and he was like "This bullshit but then like gradually over time he was like wait a minute i don't want to i don't want to take cocaine anymore
1: yeah 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 i guess he beats it though he was still like gobbling speed and yeah uh Mm -hmm. doing all kinds of other things and yeah let's see and then he kind of like starts doing so many drugs in like the (laughs) mid 60 like going into like 64 65 that his like performances are becoming erratic and it's causing problems and i think he gets passed over to be like one of the directors at like second city um Mm -hmm at some point he's very mad about it and then he ends up in 1965 another another one of these figures that you know packs up their car and drives out to los angeles in 65 and immediately kind of like runs into a lot of these people i mean for one he reunites with his pal hugh romney who i don't know exactly when he started turning into wavy gravy but he was well on his way by this point i guess you know he went out to la like looking thinking he'll get tv work and stuff like that and he got a few like tv roles but then you know he ended up living with hugh romney wavy gravy and his wife and a few others Um, who would come and go in a hotel on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood that they had dubbed Misto Acres. Then he has a show that he puts on. He was working in TV, but he was worried that it would erode his counterculture reputation. Interesting, he's already (laughs) thinking about his counterculture reputation. And uh, Dell felt he needed to preserve his integrity. Timothy Leary was coming west to deliver a lecture, so Romney decided to rent the same auditorium and, quote, talk about silver meat cream, SMC, bits of rancid hamburger and gelatin capsules. And for entertainment, we've got rock and roll, we're called Dell. So he put on a show called Lysergica Go-Go, which I guess was intended as a gentle respectful put-down of Tim Leary and the then burgeoning LSD scene with the over 500 attendees receiving capsules filled with Safeway hamburger as they entered the incense-filled auditorium. That's that's just like bizarre and creepy and like gross that they're like, I I don't know if they actually gave out like rancid hamburger meat in capsules, but the idea that- Uh, like (laughs) disgusting fucking disgusting like yeah probably give people salmonella what the fuck so i guess in this play leary's lecture techniques were parody were parodied after which the theater darkened and dell trained an ultraviolet projector on the stage and people danced to a live band while pressurized cans sprayed mist ropes twirled and serapes or seraps how do you say that
0: uh i think it's serapes
1: Yeah, Sarah Pays waved under the fluorescent lights. The book says La Surgica Gogo was was one of the more influential, if less remembered, events of the 1960s. Dell had little interest in rock and roll, but was an enthusiastic supporter of the anarchic spirit the music represented. And he claimed in this show to have invented the rock and roll light show Hmm. um, that would, you know... Become a big thing in like the years to come. I guess he he was he had been obsessed with photography and optics for a long time, and Mm -hmm. got a bunch of projectors, dripped various colored dyes on the glass plates,
0: uh, optics and lights. Yeah, Um, right. Just like
1: I mean, just like uh, what's his name, Owsley Stanley's obsession with like the wall of sound. Yeah, you had these like, (laughs) yeah, right, Um, Uh. right. Yeah, so I guess whatever you watch, like, uh, because eventually he got the Grateful Dead, like, uh, interested in this stuff. And he started doing light shows for the Grateful Dead and for the Mothers of Invention and Frank Zappa and Mm. became, like, friends with those guys for a little while. So this was held on November 26, 1965. And uh, it was also, I guess, uh, the program described it as, quote, an entertainment calculated to astound the senses based on the manual by Metzner albert that's Ramdas and Leary based on the Tibetan book of the dead. Cool. Cool. Very
0: cool. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I guess, yeah. And it is kind of interesting. It reminds me of, um, of some like weird scenes inside the Canyon stuff where, mm-hmm. cause Dell says I've got nothing against rock and roll. We'll paint up the dancers, shine some ultraviolet, violet lights on them and then I'll do a light show. So we did this Lesurgica Go-Go. The first time Light Shows and Rock ever appeared together. He's basically, like, he's very apathetic about the music itself. Just like I feel like uh, Dave McGowan covered in, like, like Jim Morrison had no interest in music before, like, The Doors or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like he's actually quite apathetic about, the music itself but just the vibes he's very interested in the vibes and melting people's brains and (laughs) doing all this kind of stuff and i think what was there's a flyer so he he's not telling it this actually happened and um i think the grateful dead flyer that had him like advertised it as like del close in his phantasmagoria right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that's how they described it and Mm -hmm. um yeah so i mean he got in with these like Basically like these uh, sus lords um, yeah. of the uh, hippie movement. He also was at the first, he started hanging out with the Merry Pranksters around the same time. He was in attendance at the first LA acid test uh, that was put on by the Merry Pranksters in February 6, 1966 at the Valley Unitarian Church. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time, I think they'd already done the ones at Stanford with the Grateful Dead slash... Warlocks. Mm. And then they came down to LA for a while. I think they cooked up a bunch of LSD and Watts. And then they started doing LA uh, acid tests down here. I mean, he was, and I think he did lights, he might have done lights for that. Yeah, because Wavy Gravy introduced him to the whole scene and they participated in the group LSD experiment sponsored by Ken Kesey, sponsored by the CIA, but uh, run by Ken Kesey's Merry Pranksters, Neil Cassidy. He had a lot of run-ins with Neil Cassidy. Yeah, Neil Cassidy. Um, Yeah, this is how it was described uh, by Mm -hmm. the LA Free Press. That Neil Cassidy went out on an hour's worth of fascinating word salad over a mic, while interferometric Del Close began casting magical and ineffable colors onto a wall, directed only by his spontaneous explorations of what he was doing. Hugh Romney began a monologue, like an incantation, while watching a film being shown on another section of the wall. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, interesting, it actually mentions here that, while he was doing this, that, like I think you said LSD was not necessarily like his favorite drug ever. Um, and he would rig the light shows for the acid test and it says he was the only one allowed not to drop acid. (laughs) He preferred to to shoot speed instead. Whenever
0: that comes up, you know, like everyone is, everyone else is doing this drug, but there's one exception. Always a very right? like it's, detail. Yeah. Whether it's Charles Manson yeah, yeah, or exactly. Hugh Hefner
1: or people the like that. So example. Yeah. Charles so Cameron. he liked to shoot speed instead of doing a- more than he liked doing acid. Mm-hmm. So he would just be like on like a huge amount of amphetamines, like doing this light shit while everyone's tripping on acid, and uh, that yeah, like what could ever go wrong with that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never sus to be the one guy who's only on amphetamines. in a room full of acid heads Uh, i mean yeah that's literally what manson kind of ended up doing. (laughs) true yes yeah so Uh, that that's what he was kind of getting into and uh i guess at some point oh yeah neil cassidy also like yelled at him once because he showed up wearing basically what he called like a blues brothers type outfit mm because he was like a beatnik and neil cassidy was like hey what are you trying to do be 15 years at a date so dell says he quickly let his hair grow out and changed his dress style protective coloration see But honestly, I never took any of it very seriously. I never gave up on being a beatnik. The whole psychedelic thing was co-opted so quick. As soon as people started wearing beads, they opened up bead shops. It got too commercialized. Where we used to do mescaline for a day and meditate, these kids got hold of it and just scarfed it down. The beatniks were on a mystical trip. We were the holy barbarians. But the 60s people, they were either politicized or stoned. The beats were apolitical. There was no way to politicize or commercialize them. Frankly, I thought awesome. the whole revolution was a joke because if it had succeeded, who, look at who would have been running things. It reminded me of the Dada Manifesto. Destroy everything. Replace it with nothing. <laughs> cool. Yes. Yeah, replace it with nothing. Um, yeah, so I guess he's not very political, though he did say, when he goes in 1967 to San Francisco um, to join, what was it called? The committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He He says that he had to basically become a marxist for five years <laughs> it's funny that he like <laughs> had
0: to do it for like comedy reasons <laughs> like you know, yeah. yeah yeah the he said politics that, like, as were an all actor. like subordinate to the comedy <laughs> yeah like he
1: said as an actor he had to play the insight role of somebody who had marxist politics for five years while he was working with the group mm-hmm. so i mean basically just admit admitting that
0: yeah
1: <laughs> he like just like crazy uh, talk about a real crazy Dell was yeah. just pretending to be a hardcore Marxist but yeah in reality yeah, uh, pretty yeah much right. not interested
0: known for like despite being like known for like making you know uh being the house metaphysician of SNL when it truly got political and it criticized Nixon or whatever you know when Ooh, it was really or yeah subversive. Ford I guess yeah. Um. Oh, yeah I guess it was Ford you're right I, th- they I criticized they how he was clumsy they took him down for being clumsy.
1: Um, uh, do, do you think SNL? I I had actually never looked back and see. Did SNL even like make jokes about Iran Contra in the eighties? Like it, it seems like they um, were. I'm gonna uh, look up to SNL
0: Iran Contra right now. I know that they made fun of Gerald Ford for being clumsy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oof. Uh, I'm seeing. Okay, let me look. I'm, I need I need to watch this because. Um, I'm seeing a skit called President Reagan Mastermind, and I can't say with confidence, oh. but I have a strong feeling that this is going to be, like, satirizing the idea that Reagan knew about Iran-Contra. He's too
1: stupid to do anything yeah. about it.
0: Oh, God. oh it's yeah, fucking General six Electric. minutes long, of Gotta course.
1: Oh, of course. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think we—I'm willing to assume that— um, they they drop the ball
0: uh, yeah generally they they do yeah Uh, of course comments are turned off so i can't get anybody's summary okay this is the joke president reagan phil hartman acts hopeless and clueless in public but in private he's an evil mastermind who knows every detail about everything happening in his administration so i guess the joke is like haha like you know he's pretending to be dumb
1: and senile Well, I guess the
0: joke is like, wouldn't it be funny if he actually were an evil mastermind who knew everything that was happening? Yeah, because it's so unbelievable. Yeah, it's so wacky. Like, that's so funny to think that he would know things. Yeah.
1: Where have I heard this? Before? I haven't watched this
0: game uh, so hopefully I'm describing it accurately, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, based on SNL's track record uh, during my own lifetime, uh, I think I could not say, good. Yeah, they it, were definitely, that's, that's
1: actually a standard go to is like kind of deflect, like trick people by portraying the president who's doing something really bad as just dumb.
0: Hamburgers. I, mean, <laughs> I need my hamburgers and coffee uh, uh strategery
1: remember that shit? yeah of course yes right yeah 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 but george yeah. w um i like that scar-
0: shit. i'm scarred for life by like having to see alec baldwin's awful trump impression for like you know just <laughs> just for four years i might have like just lost bad. my mind it, it was the worst impression ever it, <laughs> it absolutely terrible fissful. absolutely
1: terrible. <laughs> as to the full-length episode, subscribe to the Hour of Frequency at patreon.com slash subliminaljihad.